0: Welcome to everybody. Um, I just have to comment by way of saying thank you to Ray in leading us in communion this morning. That was um, I must profoundly encouraging, and um, thank you for blessing us in that in that way. The lesson this morning is on patience, of course. We're talking in the the context of uh, fruit of the spirit, and I know that some of you will recognise. The sweet irony of my leading a lesson on the theme of patience. Because many of you will recognise that I am, I am your classic facilitator of developing patience. And I appreciate your patience, your endurance, your long suffering. And I want to suggest that patience is something that, uh, Many today, I think especially, are challenged by, um, you might be a motorist travelling down Murundu Road. (laughs) And I didn't realise it was 50 k's out there. I would have assumed it was 60. So there but for the grace of God go I. Thank you for taking that bullet for us, Martin. Um, Patience on the road though is something that can be very, very challenging. Um, uh, whether you're a motorist or whether you're a cyclist sitting at a red arrow that has not registered because you're so light and uh, you're sitting there for five minutes or more thinking, oh, when is this going to change? And then, because as a Christian, you start to become conflicted. Should I just go through or should I, should I wait? Patience. We live in an age where Everything is fast-paced. We want, you know, the the proverbial thing, Lord, grant me patience and grant it to me now. And fast food, uh, fast internet, fast downloading are very big, even a political issue in places like Australia. Fast deliveries. Our expectation is no longer just next day delivery, Companies are trying to sell us with a delivery service that will be within a couple of hours of our pressing the button to to make an order. This is something that we've almost culturally become accustomed to. This is our, our expectation. But I wonder if it's a perception that uh things are different today than they used to be in the past for example you you might remember uh i remember as a child uh Aesop's fables used to be one of my some of my favorite stories and yet um old Aesop of course he's he's uh uh from a period approximately 600 years before Christ and the classic hare and the tortoise story which i'm sure that everybody is very familiar with the fundamental uh, theme of that is 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 patience and and um you know slow and steady wins the race sort of thing. And so even 600 years before Christ, patience was recognised as a, as a virtue and in so much as it was held up as a virtue, maybe we could be right in assuming that many people struggled with patience. You just do a little bit of a skim on the internet, uh, just... Without any particular uh, connection with Christianity, looking at the theme of patience, and there's a lot of people out there, including the likes of psychologists, that are trying to give us lots of helpful advice, uh, explaining to us why patience is a good thing. Um, patience usually pays off in the long run. If we if we wait and are patient and let things take their course, then, as in the illustration here. Usually, usually it will bear fruit. Uh, Even into our old age, like self-discipline and endurance, patience continues to pay dividends. In that sense, it very much is an investment in the future. So the wise person, the wise person will be a patient person. You look at those two images there and if you were to ask yourself the question, which guys would I like to have working on the project of building my home, who would you go for? Um, The image on the left, they're concerned to, first of all, an important thing, I guess, pay attention to the plan, they're wearing all the appropriate um, safety equipment, you'll notice, And they just look like responsible individuals, conscientious individuals. You suspect that they would do a good job. Whereas the guys on the right, and you'll notice that uh, a saw and a sledgehammer, not just an everyday ordinary hammer, they've got a sledgehammer. So you get a a good inkling of what their idea of workmanship is all about. They're the only two tools they have for any and all projects And I suspect that uh, most of us would choose the guys in the orange hard hats. Patience looks at consequences and takes a long-term view. Patience takes pride in doing the job right to ensure that the end product is and continues to be everything it can and should be. Merely near enough is never good enough. In contrast, though, impatience looks at present circumstances, and takes a short-term view. Impatience accepts shortcuts because faults typically become apparent only long after the job is done. I want to around when problems become evident, so it doesn't matter. Near enough is regarded to be good enough. So, take my word for it, a scheme of uh, the internet, that's about the substance of what you about patience and why patience is a good thing, a good virtue to pursue. Of course, our focus is upon the biblical concept of patience and while all of those things are true, pretty much self-evident, I would guess, but the Bible nuances the theme of patience in a way that I think and I hope will be valuable to our reflections this morning. Macrothumia, and I was impressed, Ray, using some Greek this morning. Macro, a compound word. Macros, long, thumos, temper. And that's interesting, isn't it? We're accustomed to the phrase short-tempered, short-fused. That is a person who is quick to lose their temper. Well, macrothumia, typically translated in our English translations as either long suffering or patience. Macrothumia is the term that Paul uses in Galatians when he talks about fruit of the Spirit patience. It's it's long suffering. It is long in keeping that fuse from being lit, the opposite of short-tempered. Macrothumia, this is from William Barclay, the wordsmith, if you will, Macrothumia expresses a certain attitude both to people and to events. It expresses the attitude to people which never loses patience with them however unreasonable they may be and which never loses hope for them, however unlovely and unteachable they may be. Parents, take note, the virtue, the necessity in parenthood of being patient. It expresses the attitude to events which never admits defeat and which never loses its hope and its faith, however dark the situation may be and however incomprehensible events may be, and however sore the chastening of God may be. Never, never give up on the other person. Never, never give up. That good will come eventually, even out of the dark days. Similarly, in the New Testament, "hoopamone" uh, is a word that often, um, it's used, I suspect, interchangeably, often accompanies uh, macrathumia, patience. It's uh, it's derived from again a compound word, hypo under uh, and mona remain. So to remain under, to stand under, and so in English translations, typically you'll have words like endurance, to keep on keeping on, to stand up under that weight, under that under that pressure, steadfastness. And sometimes in the English translations it's also translated as patience. Now, just a reminder, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, this is the rationale for our exploring patience as one of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. It's interesting the way the term is used in Colossians. Again, the Apostle Paul writing here, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now just a reminder here, but a very important reminder. We talked at length about this in the past, particularly in in connection with fruit of the spirit. The relationship between us on the one hand and our activity, our endeavours to serve God and the Spirit of God, whom we receive when we are baptised into Christ. To understand the relationship between the two, the early Greek church used the word synergy to describe the connection, the cooperation between us and the Spirit as it became our sanctification as the people of God. We surrender. Think about that. We surrender to God through our obedience. So our obedience, we've still got a part. We have a responsibility towards God, to obey God. But notice this important connection. Lest we think it's just about us getting by by pulling up our own bootstraps. Our obedience, our surrendering to God, allows the Spirit of God, who is a helper not a coercer, not one who forces himself upon us. God rather invites us to cooperate with him, to surrender to him and on the basis of our response, our saying yes to God, God then works upon us, the Spirit's transforming work in us. And notice, if you will, looking back to the text there in Colossians chapter 1, The connection between being prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And it's interesting that Paul here holds together in juxtaposition the idea of our enduring, the idea of our being patient and on the other hand the presumption that that process is occurring in the context of difficulty, challenge. Suffering, And in the midst of that, we can receive that suffering joyfully, giving thanks to the Father. And of course, as was well known to us, James in particular spells out for us why that is the case. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Now, how counterintuitive is that? And, and James is not advocating some sense of masochism on our part. Oh good, I'm having a terrible time, how great is this? He's not talking about that at all. He's saying we receive the suffering, we receive the difficulties, we receive the challenges, whatever that might be. And such things come in very different shapes and sizes. And I suspect that for each one of us, those challenges can look very, very different. It's not one challenge fits all, as it were. Each one of us face different challenges, different difficulties, different sufferings in our life, indeed in our lifetime. The common denominator, of course, is that all of us, in some fashion or another, face difficulty, face suffering of some sort. And so in understanding that, we can, according to James and Paul earlier, we can accept those sufferings with thanksgiving, with joy, because, verse 3, you'll notice James 1, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. What a privileged position we have all by the grace of God. We stand justified, glorified. But, says Paul, not only that, we also boast... We're also grateful for our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope that does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Patience and endurance are developed through dealing with with trials in our lives. Patience and endurance are developed through dealing with trials in our lives. We ask, well, how? How do we develop patience? We develop patience by living life, by facing those trials that life presents to us. And we develop patience from a Christian point of view certainly, through engaging with those trials as people of faith, trusting in God. Difficulties therefore should be viewed as opportunities, not something to complain about, not something to run away from, something to embrace and even welcome as an opportunity to grow. Patience and endurance develop in proportion to our belief that God is in control and that he is on our side. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. All of us are familiar with that context. All things happen for the good of those who are God's children according to God's purposes. If we believe that, and believe, that's an interesting term. Uh, my understanding is believe comes from the Old English and is derived from the phrase be, live. Um, many, particularly believers today, want to reduce belief to just mental assent as if it's just something that happens in your head. It starts there obviously, but it doesn't finish there. not biblical belief, not biblical faith. Be, live. What you believe is reflected in, indeed determines how we live. If we live into life, that is to live by faith, if we live into life as we believe God's promises, we believe the truth of God's word and what God has done for us, we can understand that we have the victory. We can understand that God is on our side. We can understand, therefore, that even when we are called upon to face trials, we can endure, we can be patient as we look to God and his purposes. Very interestingly, very importantly, I think, patience is a key characteristic of God. Notice a statement here in Exodus chapter 34, 5 through 7. And this is important, the context is important. You see, Moses went up into the mountain, Sinai, and he received the Ten Commandments on the two tablets of stone, you'll remember. And then he comes back down to the people, and there's noise in the camp. Some say that Moses Oh my goodness, we're being attacked. But God says, no, they're not, there's not a fight going on down here. These people are partying. You remember? And, and, and Moses becomes so angry that he smashes those original tablets of stone. God calls him back to the mountain. And this is the context here. For the second time, he is receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments written with the very finger of God. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord, the Tetragrammaton, Yahweh, the personal name for God, so holy that a Jew typically would not even attempt to, dare to pronounce the name for fear of being disrespectful of God. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. And listen to this description that God gives of himself. The God, the God of deliverance. Think of the context. He's just brought his people out of Egyptian bondage. He's just blessed them with, with giving them the law. And of course they're on their way to receive the promise, the land of Canaan, going all the way back to the promise God made to Father Abraham. And now, having turned the other cheek, God calls Moses back. Let's start again. Let's reset. Here's another set of the tablets. The Lord, the God, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, long-suffering, patient, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God, the gracious God, God, the merciful God, But his grace and mercy won't be exploited. He still holds people, you'll notice, to account even to the point of allowing people to suffer the consequences of their sin to the second and third generation. God's no Santa Claus. God's no easy pushover. But God is a God of compassion, of mercy, of grace, of patience. And this description of God almost becomes... A repeated theme through the Old Testament. Just notice this medley Uh, here: Psalm one hundred, sorry, Psalm eighty-six, verse fifteen. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. There's that phrase again: long-tempered, long-suffering, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm one hundred and three: The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. Earlier, if you put... The writing of the Psalms, Psalms of David, around 1000 BC. Most people would put Jonah at around 900 odd, 800 perhaps BC. Notice how this same theme continues. He prayed to the Lord and said, and we remember well the story of Jonah. Remember he God calls him to go and preach to the Ninevites, to warn the Ninevites, call them to repentance. And Jonah's reaction was to go in the opposite direction. And here we find out, what was going on for Jonah. It's almost mind-boggling that a prophet of God would be this biased, would be this prejudiced against a pagan people that he would wish them ill. But that's where he's coming from. And so now Jonah's been humbled so he's done his job, he's preached to the people and much to Jonah's frustration, the very thing that he was concerned would happen has happened. They've repented And therefore, God's judgment upon the Ninevites has been averted. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? I knew this was going to happen. That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And then way on the other side of Israel's history, if you will, Nehemiah, you'll notice, still brings forward this classic, what had become a classic description of God. Nehemiah writing uh, perhaps as late as 400 BC, after the Babylonian captivity, after the restoration of Israel to the Promised Land and now having secured the city by rebuilding the walls, notice the language that Nehemiah makes Users. But they and our ancestors acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. So their punishment was justified. Their punishment was predictable. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their necks and determined to return to their slavery in Egypt. But there's the unfaithfulness of the people of God in contrast Your faithfulness, God. You were a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and you did not forsake them. You were faithful to your promises. You brought the people back. You've blessed the people as you promised way back to Father Abraham. And of course that theme, the patience, the long-suffering, The slowness to anger of God continues on into the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writing about, in a context it would seem that, you know, maybe about 30, 35 years after the crucifixion of Christ, after the beginning of the church. So, one generation really. People were already starting to say, well, you know what, it's been an awful long time guys. This Jesus fellow who was promising to come back, where is he? Where is the promise that he made? Peter, Peter offers a sobering assessment of this delay. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will happen. It will happen just as surely as God will keep his promises. And then, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise and the elements will be dissolved with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. We wait. And we are patient. And we grow in our patience precisely because the one upon whom we are waiting is faithful. Therefore, beloved while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. The long-suffering of God, the patience of God, is the grace of God. A final text that I want to highlight I think the distinctive nature, the biblical nature of patience, more than just wisdom, more than just an admirable virtue, there is something distinctively Christian and profound, profound in its importance and profound in the challenge that presents us as the people of God. I want to put before you this, Context, again, many of you be quite familiar with this. Peter comes to Jesus and says to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Some translations have 70 times seven, which is 490 for the mathematicians there. Huge, and I don't think Jesus means saying you count them off and then when you get to... 489, then you know there's just one more left. He's just saying, be extravagant, be generous in your forgiveness. Peter probably thought he was being extravagantly generous when he said offered seven times. And Jesus says, no, there should be really no end to your willingness to forgive. And he tells this story to illustrate the point. Verse 23, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him and saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Have patience with me. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave as he went out came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. And When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So, Jesus' point, Jesus' conclusion, so my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Be patient with me. Be patient with me. I want to suggest to you, as an expression of love, agape, patience is the grace element of the fruit of the Spirit. Of all of that list of virtues that Paul describes as fruit of the Spirit, patience is the one that captures most pointedly the call to be Gracious, to be forgiving. Love is expressed in being kind and gentle and generous and loyal towards others. Love is expressed in joy and peace and in exercising self-control. But in addition to all of these, love is expressed through patience, which enables us to be accepting and forgiving of others, even up to 70 times 7. In imitation of God. So we cast our minds back to Psalm 103. And we're challenged, not just by the wonderful character of God, but how we might fit into that picture. Michael is merciful and gracious. Gwenny is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Betsy will not always accuse nor will she keep her anger forever. Travis does not deal with us according to the wrongdoings that we might do to him nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Rather, he is patient, he is long-suffering, even to the point, remember Barclay's definition, even to the point of never giving up. Never giving up. Whether we talk about our relationship with other people, whether we talk about our circumstances, we never give up. We never give up.